DabCon 22 in Berlin. It is the end of the conference. People are getting drinks. There's an energy in the air here that is quite unique because the merge is happening in just a few hours. Uh, but I'm here with Stefan George. Hey, how are you doing? Great, thanks for having me. Uh, CTO of Gnosis. Yeah. And organizer of this conference. I mean, Gnosis has been organizing uh, this conference for a couple of years now. Yeah. There's lots to say about DabCon. And the thing that I think is really cool about DAPCON this year because there was a two-year or three-year hiatus since two the last one. I think 2019 or the years now, 2022. Yeah. So yeah, so three, you skipped for two years. years, like yes, yeah. But like, this is it's like DAPCON is like a new DAPCON because it's Gnosis Chain DAPCON and it's like Gnosis Ecosystem yeah. DAPCON, and yeah. that all happened yeah. in the last two years. Right. So yeah. like, what was the significance of this and like? What are the plans for, for DAPCON moving forward? Yeah, so for us, DAPCON is really like a conference to bring all like the DAP developers together. It was kind of the origin of the story of DAPCON was there was a lot of like uh, conferences to uh, discuss like core infrastructure, clients, like progress on core protocol, but there was not really a conference to really focus on on dApps, on use cases, it actually, like I, no user comes to a blockchain to use a blockchain. Every user comes to actually do something useful. And we felt like we need to put more emphasis on this. And that's that's how like DAPCON came about. And yeah, of course now recently we uh, merged with XDAI and XDAI became Gnosis Chain. And uh, now Gnosis Chain is uh, also applying the merge a little bit later than Ethereum actually. Yeah. Uh, but of course, uh, this also means there's even more focus on ecosystem development, on on dApps, and um, yeah, we we see Gnosis being or like always has been uh, very aligned with like what Ethereum does. Now we use even the same technology for the network, so we are working together with the same teams, contributing to the same teams, and so yeah, we we hope DapCon allows us to yeah to especially now after two years of pandemic to finally meet again think things move much faster when you meet people face to face yeah uh, and i think that's a big opportunity here so i spent hours just talking to people and it was great to catch up and see what they're up to now and uh, how we can work together and i think that's been extremely fruitful for us yeah i mean it's, it's great to be back in berlin and like see all the berlin people yes, yeah. So, like yeah i mean it's, it's funny a lot of people think i live here somehow but <laughs> no no yeah. like, it's good to see you, you again. very well yeah you have you live like yeah but um yeah with regards to the conference so this is gonna be like a it's a, it's a yearly thing now uh, you know one of the things i think that is really uh salient about you know, two years ago when I was at the last AppCon and now is like that, you know, you're talking about dApps, yeah. right? And like, there's just so many more dApps and right, actual yes. people <laughs> building businesses and doing things on blockchains that just like yeah. were sort of dreams two years ago. And I think uh, Martin mentioned this a little bit in his opening statement at the beginning of the conference. Yeah. And you know, one of the really interesting things that I saw here is just the use of POAPs, right? Like I, I got my POAP card, uh, you know, you tra trade POAPs with people and POAPs are being used by uh, music labels and, um, you know, the film industry. And like it's growing into this 
this thing that goes far beyond just us crypto nerds. And there's lots of other examples of this. Yeah. So what are the things that you've seen grow in the last two years that are now kind of like, it's happening? It's, it's very encouraging to see like finally we bridge the gap to the real world. Like it's not only crypto for crypto nerds, but it's now, as you said, like uh, props are issued by many events. And uh, I think for me, one of the things that I never considered taking off as much as they did is NFTs related to co-ops. Uh, I think this allowed us to get a lot of new users into the space and uh, enable a lot of new use cases. And I still, still think we just scratched the surface. Right now it's mostly about collectibles and, and artworks, but there's a lot more you can do with NFTs. Yeah. And I feel that was really, that has been really encouraging to have this like, um, yeah, connection to a lot of new users and not new people, industries coming in. Um, that has really shaped also the last couple of years and I think contributed also to the, yeah, to the enormous growth that we had. And that's why now like Debcon was very quickly sold out. <laughs> like there's a lot of attention on our space, which is great. Uh, allows us to move much, much faster. And, uh, yeah, I feel like we have to also double down on this. Like we have to get more real world use cases. Uh, right now we are experimenting on the payment protocol. So I think all these use cases that we were kind of thinking of over the last couple of years, now the tech is much more mature. We can finally do this and we can actually finally, finally feel, feel like tech is not a blocker anymore for many things. Yeah. And now you just have to do it and just have to build these bridges and then get the next wave of users. Yeah. Yeah. And Gnosis has been a great incubator for lots of, I mean, like Gnosis has been working <laughs> on stuff. I mean, like just for context. The, 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 I think the, the core product that Gnosis was trying to build very early on was a prediction market. Right, I don't yeah. know how much of that you guys are doing now, but it seems like Gnosis, the ecosystem has, you know, surpassed these these use cases that, you know, were, were interesting at the time, but like the things that we can now build on Gnosis chain, like things like POAT, things like this payment uh, system that you're talking about, which I'd like to spend a couple of minutes on. Um, you know, there, there are real, real world applications that can touch potentially millions of people, not to say the prediction markets aren't, aren't interesting or like that these kind of right. early primitives weren't um, uh, important to leading Gnosis to where it is now, but I feel like the the, the, the the ecosystem and the vision that you guys are are pushing forward now, it's just like so much broader and so much more tangible and like valuable in a much more broader sense, you know? Yeah, no, it's very flattering. Like, I mean, we've been <laughs> trying to build a lot of things and many things failed, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, so prediction marks is one of the things that we kind of stopped doing. We still support teams that build it, but yeah. our, we, our personal time we spent now on other things. Um, but I guess like one lesson that we learned is like, um, if you're building tools that make our own lives easier, most likely they help others. So that's kind of also how I think no safe came into existence. We needed ourselves. We yeah. were our own customer. And this helped a lot of like making it better and making many other people using it. Yeah. And then also for many different use cases. I mean, not to mention like all the DAO tooling and all the interesting DAOs that are on Gnosis. Right. Yeah. So we, we turned Gnosis into Gnosis DAO. So we needed DAO tooling. So we built it. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like this is usually like how you build the best products. Like if you're your own customer. Um, and uh, fortunately now we have Again, like a lot more people coming to the space. There are a lot more customers, a lot more feedback and just allows us to build much better products. I remember times when we had like a long lasting bear market without any users. It was extremely difficult to build something useful because you don't get the feedback. Like uh, it's incredibly helpful to have actually users. 
uh, to build great products. It's kind of obvious, but for a long time it was just not possible in crypto. Now it is, and yeah. now I think the opportunities are much more real. And um, yeah, I think the payment protocol is a very good example. Yeah, so Federica was telling me about this this morning. We, we did an Epicenter episode uh, this morning, kind of recapping the event, and and um, and, and we talked. You know, we talked about this thing. It, it, so how does this work? Like, I'm, I'm really interested in like the technical right. aspects of how. So yeah. just to contextualize, so um, there's a there's a Visa card that you guys are going to be issuing through an issuing service provider partner. That Visa card will allow someone to pay, um, you know, as they would. But contrary to a lot of the other Visa, crypto Visa, or crypto credit cards that exist, it is the the card itself is a hardware wallet. So, you know, typically if you were using something like um, Monolith or one of these other cards, you sell the crypto, it gets sort of moved into a fiat wallet and then you use that and there's always this uh this transaction that you have to do in order to sell your crypto at any moment in time and fund the credit card so you've got to also think about like when's the right time etc but with this the crypto is actually on the card it gets sold at point of purchase and then here's the thing and this is where i think it's super interesting because it's augmentative <laughs> application yeah. of payment systems yeah. if the if the merchant also accepts xdai it just cuts through Visa. It just like goes to XDAI directly without even going through the Visa network. And um, I think it's brilliant, but like, <laughs> how does it, how does it work? Right. Like, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So as you said, like we, we issue a new card or like we issue, we are not an issuer, but yeah. our partner does. Issues the card. And the special thing about this card is it looks on the surface, it looks like a regular Visa card, but in fact, it's also a hardware wallet. And what it allows you to do is it allows you to do regular Visa transactions. It also allows you to do transactions where you actually pay with non-custodial crypto. So you have crypto on Gnosis chain, let's say XDAI, and you go to the coffee shop and you pay wherever Visa is accepted globally. And what's happening under the hood is like, uh, you actually have to sign a Gnosis chain transaction uh, or a Gnosis chain message. And this is actually embedded into uh, like the Visa transaction itself. Okay. So Visa has actually like a field where you can append data. Okay. And then uh, this transaction is actually processed still over Visa at this point, uh, where uh, then the part of the crypto transaction is going to the FX through the, to the exchange, which then is done by us or like this collaboration to uh, convert if the merchant doesn't accept crypto to fiat and. Uh, sends the acknowledgement uh, over the Visa network to the merchant. Okay. That actually, he received the money. So, the great thing is, like, there's no disruption for uh, the merchant. The merchant can still do whatever they want. The user can also pay wherever Visa is accepted, but in fact, he is using crypto. Yeah. And of course, like, uh, the long-term vision is not to, um, yeah, to to yeah to pay everything over the Visa network. The long-term vision is that uh, merchants actually can accept crypto. And uh, well, that's where like also the partner comes into play, which uh, which actually has like relationship with merchants, many many merchants, <laughs> lots yeah. of merchants. Yeah. And uh, so it's like a, they a can, payment terminal partner. Exactly. Yeah. So they can so they can upgrade the software on the terminals to allow the merchant to accept crypto, and that's of course the most exciting part, like the long term vision where yeah. uh, you can actually build like a parallel system which actually fully is non-custodial, fully on blockchain. And uh, yeah, that's of course the future. And I feel we need more of those initiatives where we are building bridges to old infrastructure so we don't disrupt the user experience. Yeah. 
but we already make them users of our own system. And then eventually, if we prove that our system actually works better, then we can convert them step by step. So I like to compare it to like Skype, you know, like uh, I was a very early Skype user Me and too. they used yeah. it to like to do calls online, obviously. And at some point Skype upgraded to like Skype out, Skype in. Yeah. So you could actually start replacing your calls. phone. Yeah. Like, like you don't need a landline anymore. Like uh, you can just use only your Skype account. And today, like pretty much any call that you do, no matter if it's landline or not, like everything is going over the internet. Yeah. <laughs> so I think similar with blockchain, um, we have to build bridges to the old world, ideally using the infrastructure as well. So we can actually meet somewhere in the middle of the bridge. And then eventually, like, uh, yeah, eventually everything will be done over blockchain. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool sort of augmentative approach, I think, to, to using the technology in a way that people already are familiar with using like this this experience of using a card but in the in the back end it can potentially be like a crypto to crypto transaction without the person actually knowing it and it's interesting this kind of visa payload thing i, I have to go and like look at how <laughs> payment networks work yeah. uh no that's cool and um yeah so it's kind of weird because you know this video probably will get released after the merch uh but you know without making it too um I guess time sensitive. Uh, what do you feel about like what's about to happen here today? And like, yeah, yeah everyone's super excited, of course. Like, uh, I personally waited very long for this moment to happen. Um, and yeah, there are several like uh, parties that are being organized to celebrate. We will actually open our office here in Berlin overnight, so people can stay and uh, await the merge together. We even like a piano concert accompanying the, the merge itself. Yeah. <laughs> So it's going to be very exciting. I hope everything will go well. <laughs> uh, it's very, very complex. So we came to realize how complex it is, especially when we tried to actually do the merge on Gnosis Chain as well. So again, yeah. Gnosis Chain is following the Ethereum roadmap. So we, we actually tried to front run Ethereum doing the merge earlier than Ethereum. Turned out it's uh, actually very complex uh, to do this and to do it successfully. And so uh, we have a bit of a different setup, but well, in short, like it definitely made us appreciate even more so how much work and uh, effort it is by all the developers and parties involved to make sure that this is a smooth transition. Hmm. So those chain will do it only in like two to three weeks. <laughs> okay. Um, once you once we've sort of seen what happened with the main net merge and yeah. yeah, it's like also like we come from a slightly different setup, so it requires a bit different uh, preparation. And we have only one execution client. So yeah. the great thing about Ethereum is it's super resilient because there's many different clients. So many different execution clients and consensus clients. So uh, if one client doesn't work, it doesn't have like a big market share, it doesn't matter. In case of North Chain, there's only one execution client. And this client has to work, and which is the Nethermind, th actually Nethermind. Okay. So Open Ethereum still also works, but it's not prepared for the merge. So Open right. Ethereum is going to be deprecated. Yeah, so that's there's right. only one, which you really can count on. And that's Nethermind, and so yeah, we have to we have to. So see then, that Nethermind Gnosis actually works chain, as expected. Gnosis chain will become uh, a data availability layer, and potentially where other uh, execution layers could also deploy to it? Is that the so long-term vision? You can think of it similar to Ethereum. So we, like similar to Ethereum, there is not the ultimate scalability solution on Gnosis Chain. So the approach to scalability is also layer two. And so yes, uh, Gnosis Chain will become a data availability layer. 
for uh, many layer twos, hopefully, that will operate. Even today, there's already optimism operational on, yeah. on Gnosis Chain, okay. but there will be probably many others. I still think data availability is only one use case, right? I also don't expect that for Ethereum, Ethereum will mainly turn into a data availability layer. There still be a lot of transactions going on uh, that do other things, but for sure also data availability. Yeah. Mm. And then, you know, for, for the for the average developer building an application, you know, what, what then becomes the advantage of building on mainnet versus Gnosis Chain? Right. How would you articulate that as kind of like yeah, a so differentiating like, point? Is it just the ecosystem or are there other specific, right. like either technical or you know, features that Gnosis Chain will enable that uh, maybe mainnet has not incorporated in their roadmap? Yeah, so I think the number one case is still like transaction fees are much lower on, on Chain compared to Ethereum. Uh, and of course, you can argue now, how does it compare to other like so-called Ethereum killers, uh, which also offer very cheap fees. Uh, the main differentiation will be decentralization. So Gnosis Chain, like we, we are following the Ethereum roadmap for a reason. <laughs> like the Ethereum proof of stake system is probably the the system that can be the most decentralized. Yeah. It's like hundreds of thousands of validators. Uh, that's something that you cannot accomplish with Tendermint or other consensus algorithms. Yeah. So it's like they make different trade-offs. Exactly. Yeah. It's like super resilient, super decentralized. We actually try to uh, also make sure that the validators are very diversified. You have now the issue, or like maybe it's not really an issue, but it's discussed as being an issue. Uh, is the like centralization of uh, of depositors on on Ethereum, where you have like Lido yeah. having like a big big part of the deposits. I think five five of the top validators own like something like sixty percent. Right. Yeah. So it's like basically it's Lido, Coinbase, Kraken, Binance. So those guys together, yeah, they effective if if they would all be compromised, Ethereum would be compromised. And uh, well, for for Gnosis Chain. We want to make sure that we have really a super diversified um, set of validators. So we we work with teams that try to do liquid staking, but distributed. Mm. So many people can join, it's more permissionless to join. Uh, this is being facilitated by like work that say Obol is doing, for instance. For example, the, Obol yeah. is doing a very important part to this. Um, and so, yeah, we will double down on, on technologies that allow us to create the most decentralized network, mm. uh, the most resilient network. And that's a very important differentiator to other like Ethereum competitors. Yeah. Uh, again, like to Ethereum itself. I mean, Ethereum is great. And uh, yeah, I think the main differentiator to Ethereum will be cheaper transaction fees, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, Ethereum is uh, doing we, its job. You, I mean, one of the things I think that in, in the Cosmos ecosystem people have discussed is this is an issue in Cosmos where also where hey, you may have 150 validators on a chain because Tendermint uh, is deterministic finality, you know, you, you can't build that out to like a per fully permissionless um, validator set. And although there's like heterogeneous Paxos and new algorithms that might allow that to be a little bit better, but the problem remains that, you know, Coinbase and Binance and very large validators often are uh, controlling a significant amount of the security of the chain. One of the ways that I think people have discussed in the ecosystem as potential ways to mitigate this would be to have economic incentives for validators to remain small. So some sort of slashing or you know, if the validator becomes too big, is this something that could also help? Because, you know, yeah. things are going to aggregate, right? Like unless course, there's any yeah. unless there are like people actively doing work to keep the validator set decentralized or implementing some sort of technical solution to do so, I feel like 
things tend to want to centralize, um, especially if there's adoption and like, so right. <laughs> yeah, how, yeah, how would you deal with that in the future? Yeah, that's, that's actually an open research question uh, that I agree with you. Like, you ideally, you have to you have to solve it with incentives. They have to be, and of course, like we are following Ethereum two, so we have the same incentive model as Ethereum two, which doesn't actually solve this problem. Yeah. <laughs> so what we're doing now is we're thinking about creating additional incentives <laughs> on top of what the base layer incentives, anyways, are to especially incentivize individual uh, stakers to participate, and uh, of course, like. At some point, you have to think about sustainability. Uh, but for the time being, I think we can just set incentives, which will just make it a lot more attractive for, yeah, for like individual uh, validators to join. Yeah. Um, I feel like liquid staking is obviously taking off because of user experience. It's just the easiest. Also, is the most capital efficient right now, and uh, people love it. At the same time, I think we can offer the same without having the issue of having one party controlling like how this is actually distributed among staking services. Yeah. So having this permissionless um, yeah, liquid staking, I think, can be like a very key component to keeping it decentralized. And um, of course, there's the uh, market forces or economy of scale, which might lead again to centralization. So I think it will be probably like a constant fight, uh, but uh, we'll try and uh, we'll see how far we can get. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think you guys are on, on a good path to uh, yeah to, to getting there. Just yeah, and I mean the the Gnosis ecosystem I think is very mindful of these sorts of, of these sorts of problems and like there's lots of smart really smart people you know on your team, but also I think in your broader community that um, will steward like for the example chain one and, yeah. yeah like one project that we've been supporting for a very long time is called Depnode yeah and so Depnode makes it really easy for everyone to run their own node. This is kind of the prerequisite to actually have a decentralized network. And so we have been supporting them for a very long time and we are subsidizing actually uh, to buy hardware that you can run at home. Uh, so you can actually have yeah, your own validator running on your desk to validate the NOS chain. Uh, and we give you some DNOS for this that you can actually use to stake on the network. Yeah. So this was very nice. This, this way we got like a few hundred users uh, just running their own machines and helping to decentralize the network, which is great. <laughs> and I think the, these kind of initiatives you would like to double down on. And um, again, like we will, what you will see from us over the next couple of months is like um, defining metrics of how we define decentralization. It's not only about validator count, right? Like, I can spin up like a hundred thousand validators, but they're all my machine or yeah. all my under my control. That doesn't solve anything. It's important uh, that they are uh, geographically uh, in different locations. It's important that they are uh, distributed between different uh, ISPs. So if everything is in AWS, yeah. it doesn't really help us. So I think there are many different metrics that we will try to evaluate and then also compare to other networks to just kind of put the finger on it and try to, with incentives, to, to get to a better decentralization. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly like, I think in the ethos and of, of Gnosis and the Gnosis chain ecosystem to be as decentralized as possible. And it's certainly like, you know, you, you've pushed this vision a lot. I know like talking to Federica also, you know, she's very, uh, you know, she's a, uh, you know, strong proponent of decentralization, also privacy and... You know, and and think, people yeah. also, unlike, sometimes I feel like I still have to educate people, again, even our own industry, why decentralization matters. Why, why we're here. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, why we sometimes like, 
I just need a token. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, uh, of course, decentralization matters, especially if you want to do large scale things. Let's say the payment network, for instance. Um, if you would run this on a network where very few VCs are controlling uh, basically the network, then it's very unlikely that you will ever get to a scale where you get uh, like different banks into this system to issue those cards. Like it has to be credibly neutral. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it's not going to work. And uh, I think this credible neutrality is something that we want to have uh, to allow really like permissionless innovation. You know, like um, if Gnosis uh, shuts down the validators, the network is not going to disappear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I think that's super important. Uh, it's it's not only about being like a reliable, but also just yeah, actually being fully permissionless, and that only works if the network is actually decentralized. Yeah. Well, Stefan, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Sebastian. For doing this. <laughs> yes, and, of course. Uh, I look forward to uh, yeah next year's yeah uh, DAPCON and coming to Berlin it's again. It's going to be at the same place again. Thanks. Yeah. So it's going to be good. It's a pretty good <laughs> venue. Yeah. All right. Enjoy the Fingers merch. Thanks for the merch. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye.